While discerning my call last fall about coming here to be your pastor, I was wrestling with God, and some of you may remember I shared in November that the word came out of that wrestling, the word surrender, and with it great peace and joy. And so since that time in my morning prayers, I've included asking God to help me to surrender to his good purposes. Just before I started here in January, God gave me another word in prayer, the word receive, to go with surrender. Surrender my agenda and receive his grace, mercy, power, and wisdom. And as I studied and prayed through this text from Judges today, that theme of surrender stood out to me. Now, as we dive into today's text, I want to thank Nathan for assigning me such a complicated text <laughs> in my first six months. Um, and, as, and some of you were here for Ann Ross Children's Sermon a few weeks ago. She said, Judges, she thinks, is officially the canned asparagus book of the Bible. <laughs> and perhaps after Telly did such a good job with today's reading, maybe you have more of an understanding why she said that. Um, it majors, this book majors on death, destruction, and violence with only a few points of light against a very dark canvas. The repeated theme throughout the book is there, in that day there was no king of Israel and the people did what was right in their own eyes. Some may feel we're living in those times as well. The people did what was right in their own eyes. But upon further study and lots of prayer and working with a great pastoral team, I came to realize that there are some themes here in today's text that could be applicable to our lives. And I look forward to unpacking them with you. And as we get started with that, I want to orient you a little to the story of what's happening. Some of you may recall Samson was a man who was dedicated from birth to God. And he, the sign of his surrender to God's holy purposes was that he was never to shave his head. At the same time, he came along, uh, it was during the time that the Philistines were oppressing, having a heavy hand of oppression on the people of Israel for 40 years by the time Samson shows up on the scene. Interestingly enough, the Philistines are the people of shaved heads. So a contrast to our hero of the story today. Um, in the preceding chapter of Judges, we hear a story of tit for tat between the Philistines and Samson, one retaliating against the other and then back and forth. Now, in the ancient Near East, revenge was a common practice and a regular part of life. The world's justice then and in many ways now is vengeance or karma. You get what you deserve. Now, this shouldn't sound that foreign to us. Are there any parents in the room with multiple children? You got a few? A few hands are raised? Okay. I want to test this out with you. Have you ever heard the words, he hit me first? <laughs> How about she shoved me first? Or another popular one, he bit me first. <laughs> you could substitute any verb there. Um, just about anything works. But, you know, you offended me, so I have a right, almost a duty, to offend you. And as an outcome of that cycle of revenge, we find Samson in a cave with his people coming to confront him. So if you have your Bibles with you and want to take a look with me at Judges 15, beginning at verse 9, I want to look at verse 9 through 11. Then the Philistines came up and encamped in Judah 
and made a raid on Lehi. And the men of Judah said, why have you come up against us? They said, we have come up to bind Samson to do to him as he did to us. Then 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock of Edom and said to Samson, do you not know that the Philistines are rulers over us? What then is this that you have done to us? And he said to them, as they did to me, so have I done to them. So 3,000, that's a large number, isn't it? 3,000 men of Judah came down to convince Samson he needs to surrender. He needs to be the one who gives himself up for the many. They didn't come saying, Samson, we know you have miraculous power and strength. We want to get behind you to overthrow our oppressors. No, they, they didn't see it that way. They said, in order for this problem to go away, you need to let us give you over to them. They didn't see a way out of their own suffering. They didn't think God was there for them or that God could even deliver them. They became depressed and defeated in spirit, and without a just ruler, they felt abandoned and bereft. Samson said, as they did to me, so have I done to them. We see this conflict still going on today in that part of the world with Israel and Palestine. We've known of it in Northern Ireland and Rwanda, and then even closer to home, whether it comes to conversations about national politics, conservatives and liberals seem pretty good at tossing anger back and forth at one another. Maybe it's in our personal relationships we can even relate to this. In school or the workplace, there are ways of taking out our aggression or issues on someone we're angry at. When we feel wrong, slighted, or that others are against us, we sometimes convince ourselves that revenge is justified. Years ago, a woman at a party told me that her spouse had an affair which she knew about, but he had never confessed or owned up to it. So she went and had an affair herself to get back at him. She thought that was justice. Neither told the other person about this in their marriage, and she thought he suspected her. In fact, she took pleasure in the fact that he wasn't ever sure about it. It was like she was settling her debt to him by doing likewise. What a heartbreaking solution. So many people are recycling revenge, and the cycle continues. Notice how the scripture passage for today led to carnage and destruction, much like this couple's experience. And while theirs was an extreme example of how the world operates, I think we'd all agree that something needs to interrupt the cycle. There has to be a better way. And there's some good news for us. Sometimes grace interrupts karma. And we see a hint of this in chapter 15, verses 12 through 13. And they said to him, We've come down to bind you, that we may give you into the hands of the Philistines. And Samson said to them, Swear to me that you will not attack me yourselves. And they said to him, No, we will only bind you and give you into their hands. We will surely not kill you. So they bound him with two new ropes and brought him up from the rock. So Samson, we know, has been caught in a cycle of vengeance, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But for his own people, Samson is willing to be the sacrificial animal. 
agreeing to be turned over to those who sought to kill him. He allows them to bind him and deliver him into the hands of his enemies. Doesn't that remind me of someone else and you? Um, Just like Jesus, Samson surrendered to his people and allowed God to use him. And notice what happens as a result of his surrender. In verse 14, we find, when he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting to meet him. Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and the ropes that were on his arms became as flax that has caught fire, and his bonds melted off his hands. The Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, or another translation said, came, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him in power. God's Spirit gave him strength to overcome, and the ropes on his arms became like charred flax. They just melted and fell off his hands. The shouts of the Philistines who knew how strong Samson was must have been replaced by shrieks of fear. The mighty man of God has been unleashed. Samson dealt a blow to the enemy of God's people and stood up for them in God's strength, and he had victory in surrendering to God's purposes. God ended up making him, as we heard at the end of the text, a leader and judge for the people of Judah for another 20 years. So when Samson surrendered, he was victorious over his foes, but his victory was temporary. Later, the violent acts he committed were part of what caused his death. We remember the saying, those who live by the sword die by the sword. This cycle seems perpetual, but we have a New Testament narrative to add to Samson's story. The cross stops the cycle. Sin and evil go on to the cross onto Jesus. Because Jesus surrendered his life for us, we can surrender our need for revenge. One of my favorite theologians, rock star Bono from U2, had this to say. I thought it was brilliant. The thing that keeps me on my knees is the difference between grace and karma. What you put out comes back to you, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, or in physics, in physical laws, every action is met by an equal and opposite one. Love interrupts the consequences of your actions. Christ took on the sins of the world so that what we put out did not come back to us. If only we could be a bit more like him, the world would be transformed. He's right. Grace and love interrupt karma. With Jesus, that cycle is broken. It's now a radical new view on justice. Turn the other cheek. As Samson's story in Judges continued, we see how that old way leads to more death. But for us, the new way in Jesus puts an end to that kind of living. Now it's do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Love your enemy Now we live to be a blessing. And we live out that new law of justice that Jesus ushered in by surrendering. Even when we're in need or despair or feel lost, God is still with us. And his spirit will deliver us in power to face and deal with any challenges we have if we're willing to turn to him. In the final scene of Samson's story, we see him blinded with his head and power shaved away, taunted 
and strung up with his hands outstretched between pillars of a building. And he prays for strength one last time to pull down the building on himself and his enemies. Samson took his own life to defeat his enemies. Jesus, too, was taunted, strung up, his hands outstretched, and put to death in order that God's will might be accomplished. And he did this for us so that we do not have to. Samson died to defeat his enemies just as Jesus died to defeat our greatest enemy, sin. Jesus takes that justice-making on himself. He breaks the cycle. He pays for our sin and our waywardness, our wrongdoings, and our falling short. Do we see ourselves in a cycle of wanting to get back at someone in our lives? God says, vengeance is mine. Can we trust our problems or people into God's hands? God is holy and just. Is it possible to believe he's actually working in and through that other person or situation right now? He invites us to trust him with the past offense, with that present process, and with the future outcome. In Jesus' new covenant, we have choices Samson and the people in the book of Judges did not have. Because of Jesus' work on the cross and the equipping of the Holy Spirit, what it means for our lives is we do not have to win in our marriages or to get revenge on our boss. We live to bless others who curse us, not to curse them. And even for me this morning, driving here on I-95, God gave me a perfect moment to test my sermon out and to not operate in revenge and to say, I need you, Jesus. Um, thank you for letting me live this conviction right here and now. Um, but the repair of broken hearts and relationships is possible through God's supernatural power at work in us. God is bigger than divorce, infidelity, pregnancy loss, drugs, getting arrested, or losing a job. Love is greater. How do we find that new way that Jesus offers? Surrender a need to retaliate as we rely on God. Surrender is an active verb. It, it's a way we partner with God. Forgiveness takes a lot of courage, but it can transform our heart. In a state of depending on him, we find true freedom, and we're no longer slaves to fear and anger and sin. With Jesus' surrender, we have all experienced true victory over death, and we access his power when we surrender to him. Each of us experience hurt and bitterness and anger at different times, even unforgiveness. We've all wronged someone ourselves. But the promise of Scripture is that love covers over a multitude of sins. And as we surrender to Jesus, that Spirit of God will transform us because love does break the cycle. We don't need to hold on to the offense. There are some different prayer postures people use as ways of helping in a bodily way to experience the meaning of what they're offering God in prayer. One of them is to turn one's hands down as a way of letting go of burdens, sins, and concerns that so easily entangle us. Another way is to turn our hands upward to receive God's forgiveness 
and express our openness to the Holy Spirit at work in and through us. And then we are people who are able to extend grace and mercy to others because we've received it ourselves. So I would like us to have some time with two questions in prayer. And I'm going to invite you, if you're comfortable, just in your lap, to Put your hands down for the first one. I'm going to give you a moment of silence in between the two questions. And just use this time as a moment for prayer with God. So with our first question, what may the Holy Spirit be asking you to lay down and surrender to God today? Could be anger, guilt, worry, or holding a grudge. With our second question, if you're comfortable, I invite you to turn your palms upward. And now ask the Lord, what is it you want me to receive in its place? Amen. Now let us come to the table to surrender what we need to let go of and to hold out our hands to receive Christ's body and blood, his love and mercy for us today. Amen.